thank you for taking the time to check out the Inside Myanmar podcast. If you like what you hear, we would be very grateful if you might consider rating, reviewing, and or sharing this podcast. Every little bit of feedback helps. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Inside Myanmar podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if your feed is not in your podcast player, please let us know and we will ensure it can be offered there. everybody. Uh, today we are hearing directly from the horse's mouth, the National Unity Government itself. We have a very esteemed guest here to cover a range of topics around the conflict as it exists right now, and also the increasingly optimistic view that uh, everyone in the international community and indeed everyone in the pro-democracy camp in Myanmar has for the country. Jozo, uh, I would like to welcome you to, to the program. Thank you for coming and uh, give you the opportunity to introduce yourself for our audience. Well, thank you so much uh, for giving me the opportunity. Uh, my name is Jozo. I'm the spokesperson for the Office of the President, uh, National Unity Government of Myanmar. And then uh, I'm very excited to be on this episode. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you for giving us your time. So let's let's start with the the biggest story, uh, Operation Ten Twenty Seven. So we've got massive massive fronts pushing in from around Shan State uh, against the military. The military's been retreating for some time. Everyone's talking about it. So what what can you tell us about Operation Ten Twenty Seven and the 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 let's say the revolutions instead? Yeah, this is a very exciting moment uh, for us and for resistance forces. And then, as as you mentioned, the 1027 uh, is a uh, is a is like a military military was sub was surprised, uh, I believe. And then also the revolution it shows that revolution forces strength, unity, and coordination uh, launched this this um the massive the offensive uh, across Myanmar, not only the northern Shan state. At the same time. And that this operation uh, show, show demonstrates that uh, weak weakened state of the military, and uh, how military is fragile, how military is collapsing, and the many before prior to that last year, if asked the many observer analysts, they will say the military is too strong to be uh, fall, and uh, but we are saying that military will fall definitely. Military is military is collapsing, but this operations. Um, the, it's a showpiece of that how weakened state of the military. So that um, this 1027 um, operation, Operation 1027, launched by the Three Brotherhood, 
Uh, that is uh, MNDAA Kokan, TNLA Ta'ao, and AA Arakan Rakhai. Um, they they launched that operation in Northern Shan State. The soon, and it's uh, this is kind this is a uh, coordinated offensive. That's why the the other regions and the states across Myanmar and uh, the resistance forces coordinating uh, coordinated attack against the military forces across Myanmar. So within a month, over two hundred military bases. Most of them are strategically important military bases for, uh, for the regime or, the, or junta. Uh, that's uh, and then also the, at least dozens of towns uh, fall into the resistance forces. So this is and then uh, more importantly, uh, the military surrender by battalions and after the battalions. So that's that's this is the uh, unprecedented time, and that this is the turning point in this revolution. So it shows that, that we are winning and that we are fighting together and then military is collapsing and the military will fail and that this revolution will be succeeded. And that this is a, uh, this, this is, this is a time that people are uh, power and their unity and their strength and coordinated efforts. And it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, we, we are proving that we are demonstrating that. So let, let's talk a little bit about this because, you know, 2021, we, we had a lot of respected authors, a lot of respected journalists and analysts talking about how strong uh, the, the Myanmar military is and how difficult a revolution would be. And the Myanmar military used to be considered the, the I mean, it was the second largest military in continental Southeast Asia after Vietnam. The the Tamador had for a very long time been talking about this 500,000 uh, size as their objective. They claim to have about 400,000 before the coup. And now we're seeing, you know, battalions surrendering and these battalions only have 120 men in them. Um, and, and they're just giving up their bases and, and the analysts all of a sudden have changed and they're saying, well, now the military will certainly lose. What, what's happened in two years that, that has changed this military from being one of the biggest in Southeast Asia to, to just, a series of failures. Yeah, um, the Myanmar country itself is under the military dictatorship for decades, sixty years, over sixty years. So the military is a sole um, institution, the organized institution in Myanmar. So people thought that it's a very strong, it's a, the strongest institution. And then uh, also that uh, prior, even prior to the revolution, um, the military portray themselves as a, a strong, but actually the military itself is very weak. Uh, the reason is that um, the, uh, the fighting power of the military is getting weak. The reason is that the, the, the military itself is became the corrupt, corrupted organization. The people join the military, uh, especially the, the officers and above and generals uh, for their own personal benefits. And they make it, They thought that they can make a lot of money, and that uh, fortune. And then, so instead of focusing on the ability to fight, they focus on their wealth. That's how the military is corrupted, and then that's how military is disorganized. In in on the surface, it's, it may look like the organized um, institution, but inside, 
uh, they are fighting each other. So that, uh, and then also the number that you mentioned, 400,000, 500,000, uh, that number was inflated by uh, the commanders and generals themselves. Uh, for example, battalion commanders, and that they could, they could uh, inflate the number and they collected the salaries of the, those uh, soldiers and rank and files. And, they, and instead of, uh, for example, let's say that uh, the supposed to be uh, each battalions have about uh, 500. In the past, actually the 700 or 750 in the each battalions. And then lately, uh, before the uh, coup, maybe about four, 400, 500, but the actual strength may be 200, 300, and then they inflated the numbers. And after the after the uh, revolutions, they being they they they've been receiving a lot of casualties, and then uh, a lot of a lot of men uh, deserted the the the, the bases. So that's how that you you see that uh, like say that the battalions whole battalions will have about 100, 100 plus men, and the fighting force. So so that that's how the military is weak. And then yes, they they still have a lot of fighting or uh, the, the heavy equipments and the planes, jet of fight, fighters, and the heavy artillerialists that uh, resistance forces do not have. Um, so, but uh, more, most importantly, they are de- demoralizing right now. Once they know that they are fighting, uh, they are fighting uh, to death for, for, for the reason, uh, for, for no reasons. And then they know that they are failing, they will lose. They are, so, so that they demoralizing. So that, that's why that, uh, they, they easily, they surrender uh, the, even the full battalions. And on the, on the ground, the battlefield, and the whole battalions being wiped out by the resistance forces. And the, after the 10th of December, it became more apparent. So that's how that uh, the, now the observers are shocked to see, oh my gosh, and then military is so weak, and then now it may not have a 400,000, as you used to say two and a half years ago, or it may now have only about less than 100,000 fighting force, or even some, some even say about 80,000. So who knows? But definitely what we know and what is the truth is that military is weaker than uh, it uh, portrayed in uh, a few years ago. Military weaker, not only weaker, military is collapsing. And then uh, uh, they, they, they are internally, they, you can see the crack among themselves. And then they, 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 they are sacrificing their rank and files for the, the handful of correct uh, gen, generals, the top generals, for their greed of the power and um, the wealth. So then... We, let, let's let's talk a little bit about these defections because that's been something that has also been fascinating and has changed. Initially, the word that I was receiving was that although some people were defecting, it was more common for soldiers to simply desert, run back to their home villages and, and try to hide. And the defections were predominantly coming from um, supporting units, the less combat-oriented units. And initially, in the first two years of the revolution, the light infantry divisions, um, who are, are famous for their, their war crimes, 
uh, particularly 22nd, uh, 33rd, 77th, and 99th, um, they they were not defecting at all. They they stood fast and they, you know, continued carrying out their their terrorist uh, offensives. But now we're seeing light infantry division battalions surrendering. What what can why would they be defecting? And what can a defecting soldier expect? Can they expect to be put on trial? Can they expect to be you know investigated? What 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 is waiting for them if they defect? Um, for the defectors, and in, uh, the they we will uh, we 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 already announced that uh, we'll welcome them warmly. Uh, that we we are asking them to leave um, the military the hunter, and that they are being, military hunter is um, the the running the country like you just mentioned. That terrorizing the country, terrorizing the people of Myanmar, terrorizing the civilians. So those units being used to terrorize the civilians, and then they were forced to do that the war crimes on behalf of the junta. So yes, the soldiers we have we have to obey the orders from the above, but soldier doesn't need to do that if they if they leave that are uh, the the ter- terrorist military. So that's why that we we are encouraging them to do the CDM. If not, simply deserted or if or defected uh, to the uh, revolution side. So we will welcome them warmly. And as you can see, that uh, we we give them accommodation, even not only military personnel rank and files, and but also to their families. And now we are we are encouraging military, uh, police, and their militia to leave the hunter and change the side to the people's side. This way that they they will correct their past mistake, and then not only they can. This is the only way to grant only way to guarantee their lives and their family family lives, and then because otherwise. They, you can see that their uh, previous uh, previous fightings, and then uh, the military is being wiped out. The hundreds of hundreds of rank and files were killed, and then even the high um, ranking officials are being killed. Not only battalion commanders, but also the divisional commanders, and the major, even the major generals, uh, was killed. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that uh, the, the and then not only. Uh, by, by by switching the side to the people, not only uh, the, save their own lives and their families, but also and that they can be part of the the, the re- restructuring or rebuilding of the nation. After this after this successful revolution, we have to build the country, and that so they can be the part of the part of the force to rebuild the country uh, for the peaceful, prosperous. Uh, new federal democratic union. And so, talking about the the unity here, um, with regards to 1027, uh, and, and this is apparently the most successful major offensive that we have seen to date, we keep hearing about the Three Brotherhood Alliance, right? The As you said, the MNDAA, the TNLA, and the, and the Arakan Army. Now, what we're also seeing efforts made on all fronts against the military. To what extent is Operation 1027 a Three Brotherhood Alliance operation? And to what extent is this 
a unified effort among the different PDFs and the different EAOs? Yeah, uh, as I mentioned um, at the beginning, uh, the 1027 launched by the Three Brotherhood, AA, DNL, and MNDA. And uh, the, if you can uh, look at that, the statement from the 1027, they issued the statement on October 27, um, that clearly mentioned about their objectives. The key objectives are to get it out of military dictatorship from Myanmar once for all. And then, more, and then also that uh, to end the transnational crimes or online scam um, that um, be becoming that um, lucrative business for military and their um, allied uh, militia and border guards. So this tendering server operation is not just simply ordinary military operation. This is a military operation with the political objective of um, to end the military dictatorship in Myanmar for once for all. So this is a coordinated uh, operation that you can see even in Northern Shan State. Uh, yes, dominant forces and leading, leading forces are MLDAA in Kokan area and TNLA in Taong area. And the AA is a part of the, 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 the part of the brotherhood. And the, not only those three, uh, the arm, uh, the ethnic revolutionary organizations, but also PDFs, and then also that other resistant revolutionary forces like PPLA, PLA, many, many resistant forces join fighting together in Northern Shan State. And this has not happened overnight or two, three days preparation. This size of the operations prepare for quite some time. And, and then as you can see that, uh, that soon after the 1027, and then uh, we, have, we have the coordinated military offensive in the other states and regions like Kachin, Sakai, Chin, Kareni, Karen, uh, Tanindari, so and so forth. So, and then uh, quickly the, the revolutionary forces overrun the military bases. And then also the towns, the important, strategically important towns uh, from the, uh, the military. We, we were able to liberate and, and the people uh, started enjoying freedom in those towns and the areas. So this is, a, I, I, well, there's some initially uh, people, some people are saying that, oh, this is a three brother operation. But now that you can clearly see that this is not just a free brother operation. This is an operation that the resistance forces coordinating and then fighting together. And then, for example, um, like in uh, we were able to capture the first district level town in the Sagan region, calling and under the number one military region, Komen, and then Komen with the KIA leadership, and then also the PDF and the AA, so and so forth that we fought together, we coordinated the military operations. So uh, this is this is unprecedented uh, unity that we have in Myanmar, and then this is this is how that we we all are united uh, against a common enemy, which is which is a military dictatorship. We are fighting uh, not for the regime change; we are fighting for the system change. We are not fighting for the leadership change; we are fighting for the system change. The mainline, uh, we don't want. 
to replace Milaunai with another another um, military dictator. We want to replace military dictatorship with a genuine federal democracy. And so you you talk about these places and these people that have been liberated. So let's let's focus on the the civilian side of things here. What is life like, and how is life different for people living in regions that have been liberated and people who are living in regions that are still notionally under military control? Yeah, military uh, military terrorizing the country across country since um, the station coup on February first, twenty twenty one, and at first that uh, they they terrorize the people in the cities. Peaceful demonstrators, they kill uh, peaceful demonstrators, mostly the, the young people, students. And then that's how the people uh, pick up the arms uh, and then resist it to defend uh, their towns and their villages. And the NUG, as a legitimate government of Myanmar, that we have a responsibility to protect the, our people and our country from the terrorist military. That's how the um, Ministry of Defense, MOD, uh, the, the form that uh, PDF, uh, the organized PDFs, and then we have the military code of conduct, and then we form the PDFs, and then we train the PDF forces uh, with the, uh, we thankful to the our partners, EROs, um, and that they, they train, they support it, and then like uh, Three Brother is, Three Brother is our trusted partner, and then like other EROs also are the, our partners uh, in this revolution. Um, so um, that's, that, that, that is why that, um, uh, the people, um, people resisted against the military to end the terrorist military and uh, to, get the, to get the freedom back. And then, yes, our country is, uh, like I mentioned, the ter- terrorized by the military um, either, either um, whether you live in the town or the villages, and that they they are terrorizing everywhere. So, liberated area. Now that we have the liberated area, the our control areas, and then we started forming that people administrations, and that's pro, pro, uh, providing that uh, the governmental services, and then and then also that uh, the 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 restoration of law and order. Um, those are the people living under the military control area, especially in the cities. They live in the terror, and that they they being terrorized every day, and then so that's a two two major difference. Um, that but, but uh, one thing is that under the military control areas, and then they they have to be afraid of uh, military. They and then uh, they, they could be arrested for no reason, or they could be killed, or they could be kidnapped, they could be tortured, they could, uh, and that's for many, many of them were, were arrested for the ransom, and so there's no law and order. So our control, resistant control area, the, those areas that, that you can start to seeing that we have that uh, people administration to form with the local leadership, and then also that the defense Forces are protect protecting those areas for attack from the military, the terrorist military, and then we have the uh, the police forces uh, that we form the police forces to restore the law and order, and then judicial uh, the sector also that uh, we started uh, forming that. 
So, um, but still, we have to be very careful. Military has that air power, so that uh, that that's a danger uh, of for the civilians. Uh, doesn't matter where they live, and uh, whether uh, the resistance control area or library area, uh, or the military control area, and then the, those the, those those uh, airstrikes are mainly targeted to the civilian targets, and then even the religious facilities, schools and schools and hospitals. So the two major different thing is that the as we liberated more area. As we expanded more control areas, and then we we could and we are um, establishing the administrations, and then that's based on the federal democracy charter that we all agree on. And but this this is a time this is a time the revolution time, and then not just a regular time to build that government administration services, but that we are doing very innovative way, and then with the people's support. And then those those administrative services are not only uh, the protecting the trying to protect from people from the military, but also uh, the delivering the government services, and the in the towns like the the municipality services, and then also like uh, healthcare services, and then uh, education, uh, and as simple as the trying to restore the electricities, and trying to restore the communication that uh, all infrastructures, almost all the infrastructure were being destroyed by the, the military. So that's that's what that uh, we are working towards. And then uh, some, uh, I would say that this is the most innovative revolution in the war history that you may remember. And then the, we, we are fighting against uh, the powerful military force, the, with the air and sea and artillery, but at the same time, we are administering uh, and the providing the government services with a very limited resources and the very limited international support. So, I just want to focus on this a little bit. Like you, you mentioned the airstrikes. Now, what we have been hearing for some time is that the military is having difficulty securing jet fuel and the military is having difficulty securing. Uh, replacement parts for its aircraft. Have you seen or have you noticed any decline in the airstrikes by the military or are they continuing to do the same things that they were doing in 2021-2022? So we, we are hopeful that um, with the international community, our um, that especially the democratic countries imposing the sanction against the, the jet fuels. But uh, this is not that the worldwide Sanctions. This is a limited sanction from the few countries, a few leading countries, and we we are very thankful for that. Yes, so we can see that uh, they they will have a uh, the difficulty in obtaining those jet fuels, but they still have a lot of loopholes, and that they may pay the higher prices. Uh, they may have to pay the higher prices because of the sanction, and but they still get in through. Mm. Uh, so we need to uh, close down the loopholes. And then yes, they they, they are having the final difficulty in the, their finance. They clearly see that um, that uh, they well, for example, well, right now they don't even give that uh, foreign exchange to import uh, the companies uh, for importing the fuel. Well, I mean regular fuels, uh, so that they have to they have to use that 
the dollar from the black market. Uh, so, the, but they are consolidating the all the uh, available resources for the military. Uh, for example, jet fuels and the, uh, the manufacturing those bombs or acquiring uh, more heavy weapons. Uh, they have to rely more and more on heavy artillery and the air powers. In in Rakhine State, you can see that they are using the warships, the navy, uh, navy warships and frigates. They are attacking the cities and towns um, because on on the ground that infantry units are collapsing. They don't have a fighting powers. So in order to support the infantry units, and then the the military are using more air powers and the heavy artilleries. Um, so that uh, I would say that uh, they still able to fly the the jets and attack helicopters to kill the civilians. And uh, as of I can see that um, some reports that as I see the very dis- uh, disturbing video from the Northern China State that they are dropping the uh, cluster bombs in the towns against the civilians. So that uh, remember that they they are receiving the support, military support from the Russia. And then Rus- Russians are supplying those um, the, uh, the fighter jets and the spare parts. And then Russian pilots are even training the, the Burmese pilots in Myanmar. And then some uh, some uh, rumors, or I hope that that be rumors, that some reports are some reports are indicating that Russian pilots are flying the jets and they're dropping the bombs, but we couldn't confirm yet. Mm. But uh, for sure, Russian pilots are in Myanmar training those terrorist military pilots uh, to kill the civilians, and the Russians are providing and supplying parts training and then uh, the hardware. So that unfortunately, uh, the military is still uh, able to fly the the, the air force, jet fighters, and attack on helicopters like Mi-35. We need that um, UN, ASEAN, and the world community to make sure that they would uh, to, to ban the arms arms embargo and the jet fuel embargoes against the military hunter. And, and I do want to come back to what the international community could be doing and what the international community should be doing uh, in a second, but I, I do want to circle back. You, you spoke about in the, the liberated areas, you spoke about the restoration of law and order. And I think that's a topic that we don't speak about enough. We generally have an understanding that in situations where there is civil war, where there is a, a collapse of government, um, we can look around the world to you know examples right now in you know, Ethiopia, examples in Ukraine, examples in Syria. We tend to see high levels of crime. We tend to see a decline in safety. And, and we tend to have a situation where it doesn't matter who's in charge, life for the civilians is pretty difficult. Now, restoration of law and order is one of the most difficult things that, that a government can do um, during a conflict and even after a conflict. What does that look like under the national unity government? How, how much law and order has been restored to, to these liberated territories? Yes, um, yes. 
that we are working with our ethnic allies uh, to uh, restore the law and orders in our control areas. Um, and then, uh, like I mentioned, uh, in, um, we already set up the people administration across Myanmar. And under NUG set up that 170 township level people administrations. And then we are setting up the district level, the people's administration, interim administration, uh, as we expanding our territory controls to be effectively providing the government services, restoring law and order, and then also the justice system. And then uh, in ethnic uh, minority, ethnic regions, ethnic states, uh, that's we uh, remember that we are uh, our ultimate goal is our objective is um, to build a genuine federal democratic union. So based on the federal democracy charter, and that we we are working everything based on the democracy federal democracy charter. Um, and then uh, for example in uh, Karani states, and then the resistance forces control the vast majority of Karani states. Um, even now that we are fighting uh, to capture the current state capital, Loyko. And then uh, we, and, uh, outside of the Loyko area, all the military bases being captured in, uh, by the resistance forces. And then now we are fighting in the city. And then we, we are controlling over half of the city right now in Loyko. And so um, let me go back to that uh, administration. In Karani states, we have the interim set um, executive council. That's an interim state government uh, to managing the state affairs, like like uh, other countries, like federal democracy country, uh, like in, for example, in the United States, and that uh, this is a state government. So this, uh, and then uh, uh, they, are, they are coordinating with NUG, and then uh, so that they are building their, uh, not building, they have the state police force to restore law and order. They are expanding police force, and also that they are building that uh, they 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 have a uh, weird state justice system, the court, and so so those are the uh, and the, despite of that military, uh, the, they they call it four cuts that we we have the supplies we doing that uh, the humanitarian assistance. Uh, providing the humanitarian assistance to the displaced people. And then after liberating those areas, and we capture from the terrorist military, the, the, the revolution forces, uh, the, the, the local uh, administration, civilian administration teams coordinating to bring back um, those, the displaced people back to their homes. And then many of homes are destroyed by the military and try to rebuild those, uh, their properties and stuff. And the same things are happening across country in the, for example, in Zakai region, they're calling the district town and the, mil- uh, the military destroy all the, uh, the communications and the electricity services. We, our teams are trying to build, rebuild that uh, communication and the electricity. And then also that uh, we trying to run the banking system there because there's our banks, state banks and our private banks and then we have, even before that, we already have that uh, directive uh, for the banking. We have the interims central banks. And then we have the, the, reg- uh, the policy and directives, how to, how to run those banks, how to 
how to make uh, uh, the systematically uh, so so and so forth. So the every area that we are working um, the, the 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 efficiently as possible, and the biggest challenge is that uh, the we have so many displaced people. So many dis- many people have to leave, forced to leave their homes, and so that many of them, um, when they return, there's no homes. And then many of them still um, stay in the jungle or nearby villages. And that those people, we, we have to help, we need help to support those people to rebuild their lives back to normal lives. And so those, those, are, the, those, those are the things that we are expanding our governmental services and in the states, ethnic states, also ethnic regions, also they are working towards the interim of the administration. For example, uh, the recent days, the MDA announced, Kokan announced that administration services in their newly uh, liberated uh, towns and areas. So that uh, the as a military success and that uh, the civil the the local administration follows to make sure that there's no collapse of the law and order. But law and order already collapsed by the terrorist military. We are rebuilding and restoring the law and order. So that that's uh, the as we win the more territory militarily, and then we we are well, we our administration services are the follow behind that, and then we we are make uh, we are running effectively as as much as possible. So on this uh, theme, then, like of of interim administration, interim administration obviously is designed to give way to permanent administration. So, you know, we're we're being told all sorts of numbers, but basically at this point, all of the analysts agree, even if they can't say when, the fall of the military is guaranteed. They're losing too many men, too fast, too much territory. They cannot maintain it. They cannot come back. So if the junta falls tomorrow, or whenever they fall, uh, what is the NUG going to do to transition from interim administration to stable, long-term, permanent administration without these concerns that we've we've been hearing from all sides that the various ethnic organizations and the ethnic-controlled territories might want to separate, gain complete independence, uh, begin fighting against the NUG, lead to a disintegration of the country, and so on. What is the plan for transition to a democratic, single, unified Myanmar? First of all, I would like to mention that I agree with you that the military will definitely fall. Like most, almost all observers are saying, you, uh, saying that right now. Um, second thing is that I would disagree with uh, some um, some observers uh, worry about that uh, resistance revolution forces might um, fighting each other or disintegration of the country. It will not happen. It will be new Myanmar will be stronger, the peaceful, and more united Myanmar. The reason that I, I will give you the reasons. If you can see that on the ground, uh, that we are fighting together as one force, coordinating, and that we are in unity, most united time in our history. And the, some people may say that yes, people that yes, you guys are united to fight against a common enemy. 
That's why you, well, and then after that, your comment enemy gone, and the people will put their own interests. That's a normal. The people have their own interests. There's nothing wrong with that. And that each group has their own interests. There's nothing wrong with that. But everybody in Myanmar, doesn't matter NUG or LDF or BDF or ERO, everybody agree that we New Myanmar will have to be united and strong Federal Democratic Union that guarantee equality and self-determination and justice for all. That's for including Rohingya and then ethnic minorities, religious minorities. And then none of the groups wants to leave this, this country. None of the, the group saying that, oh, we want 100% independent. No, no one, no one is saying, no one's claiming. Everybody is fighting for the, the Federal Democratic Union. But federal democracy have a different type of federal democracy. There are some people saying about confederation, this and that. And then if you look at the federal democratic un- country like uh, the, the United States or um, Canada or South Africa or India, the different countries have different system, federal system. What we are doing is that we are coordinating in the political discussions what type of the federal democratic system that we want for our people, people of Myanmar. That's me, including the Burma ethnic and all ethnic nationalities. We have equal rights. And all people, all, all ethnic people will have the self-determination. And so, so those are the things that, are, that we are discussing, we are coordinating, and, the, and that, that, that's why that we will, they, we may be arguing on the negotiation table, discussion table, for the same, same cause, but we're not going to fight, turn against each other to fight like um, the enemy. That will, that will never happen. We all are one. We, so we're all in the same boat. So, and then in order to avoid that, we have the strong foundations. Like I just mentioned about the local administration, interim administrations. Those are the, those are the basic found, the foundation. And we are built, we have a, the state level interim administrations like Karani states and the Chin states also the try the that is in the work in progress and current state also and so on and so forth. So um, so that the, the in 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 the, uh, the our energy control area also uh, we have that uh, that uh, the interim administration and then that's a central committee led by union prime ministers that we have the coordination meet uh, the coordination activities every week every so regularly happening. So, uh, and then also the between uh, NUG and the state, the ethnic states, uh, the interim uh, administrations also, we, we are working together. And then also the, as a federal, federal democratic union, to, as, to build a federal democratic union, resource sharing also the, the one of the key things. So we started doing the resource sharing uh, activities between the 
NUG and ethnic organizations. So those are the things that we started building. And then also that we have the Federal Democracy Charter, part one and part two. Um, and then part one is also approved in the People Assembly. That's include, including hundreds of organizations. That's including the elected um, members of parliament, CRPH, and UG is part of that, and the political parties, EROs, uh, civil societies, and so on and so forth. So that, according to that, we have three phases, three, I mean, three major phases. Right now it's an interim, interim period. Interim periods, and now we have NUG as an interim government. And our main, main uh, activity is to end that military dictatorship, and then we will we put the foundation for the transition period, and then we are. Uh, that's part of that is that we we are also working towards the transition constitutional arrangement. The FTC Part Two is an interim constitutional arrangement, and then there's the constitution building the well the building the constitution is a huge steps. So we have a joint coordination committee working together. And so the ones that, like your answer or question, that if the military fall uh, tomorrow, we have a, the roadmap, we have a plan, and that we will, we, we will have a transition government. And the transition government will lead that period, and then the, the, the federal constitution will be widely consulted, consultation with the people across Myanmar, and then will be approved by the people of Myanmar, and then we'll have the um, the free, the the inclusive, the free and fair election. We are building towards an inclusive democracy, inclusive federalism, and then that, and then, and then the third uh, stage is that to uh, the new federal, uh, the union will be formed after the election. So that, those are the stage that we have. So each stage is a very important stage, and then right now is that we are united and we will be united in the transition period and that that will be that will be the uh, everybody will enjoy at that time will enjoy that uh, the equality and self-determination justice so do you have any particular concerns like we <sighs> Myanmar is such a a complicated country and until recently the Arakan army were sort of sitting on the sidelines. They they weren't pro-military, but they weren't pro-NUG. They were sort of sort of biding their time. Uh, organizations like the UWSA, again, they seem to be sitting on the on the fence, biding their time. There are also ethnic uh, armed organizations that I understand are still uh, with the military. They are still in alliance with the military. Do you have any concerns that there will be some ethnic organizations, even if the military falls tomorrow, who will not want to be part of this nation-building process and and will see this just as an opportunity to gain independence for themselves. Um, I don't have a, a big concern about that. Uh, yes, people may have a disagreement. But I, what I'm saying is that people may have a disagreement how to build a political system, but everybody agrees that we have a federal democratic union. And uh, for Argan Argan Army, Argan Army is part of the Three Brotherhood. That we working together with Three Brotherhood, 
and then we are built we are fighting together uh, on the ground together with uh, our army and as I mentioned the uh, the in the uh, in uh, when we captured the calling the fight fighting for the calling the Arakan army was part of that uh, the fighting together with NUG forces NUG PDFs um, and the leader under the leadership of the KIA uh, so that uh, the ethnic ethnic armed groups fighting together um, that now Arakan army is fighting against the military military forces in Rakhine, not only in Rakhine state but also in the Shan state northern Shan state in the Zagain region, and also in the Chin state as well, together with the other resistance forces. So, um, and then also that uh, for the for uh, for uh, essay, what yeah, what is um, officially what is uh, in neutral, um, even though they they against the military military coup, but they not formally aligned with the Spring Revolution forces. But we as a NUG as a government. We be, we have an engagement with the uh, SA, not only SA, but also all ethnic organizations, the armed or political organization as well. So uh, the SA also clearly stated that they will never, they will not leave uh, Myanmar. So they will be in, the, they will be part of the Myanmar, and they want to solve the uh, the, the issues, political issues by on the dialogue and then you know, negotiation table. That's their official stand. And um, but they, we have a, a, the understanding and then also the engagement with them. Um, that, that you mentioned the third group that you mentioned, some ethnic groups are um, aligning with lining with the SEC. Yes, some of them are lining with SEC, but most of them are very weak, actually non-significant, uh, in military league, um, like APL, like an, uh, the, some organization may have maybe 100 or 200 armed, armed groups, armed uh, soldiers. Uh, so, um, the, but uh, like uh, one, what that, that's a one that you mentioned, you, I think you indicated those NCA group. Um, so within even that RCSS is the, the largest uh, and the sizable among them. The RCS, even RCSs, uh, officially declared against a military coup, even though they are, uh, and, uh, they attended the negotiation uh, and discussion with the SEC. And uh, but recently, RCSs signed the ceasefire agreement with SSPP. SSPP is totally against a mil- um, military coup. So, um, so that you can see that uh, different, different uh, development happening uh, politically. And the military, not only militarily, but also politically, so that uh, the ceasefire agreement between two Shan groups, SSPP and RCSS, is uh, is a um, the, actually the attack on the military, and the military uh, military will be well, the junta will will be more weaker because of this ceasefire agreement. So, um, to to answer your question in short. And we do have a regular engagement with all ethnic groups, including those uh, EE uh, and Three Brotherhood. And then, um, so, um, but at the same time, the NCA, uh, the groups are very, I mean, the, it's, they know that what they do, uh, they know that what they're doing is, is incorrect, wrong. And then uh, 
uh, they they are not a major uh, the player either militarily or politically in in the uh, today's landscape. And so you also speak about the the various steps that are necessary to move towards a, a federal democratic system, and and they do have to be taken you know one by one. You can't have elections until you have a a constitution that defines the method of those elections. Do you, does the NUG have any sort of estimated timeline for the moment from which the military falls to the point at which actual elections can can physically be held? Um, we, as far as I know, we don't have a, the set timeline. We do have the stages, right? So next stage is to form the transition government, inclusive transition government. So that's and then that's transition. Transitional government will lead, uh, and then that, uh, the, to implement the election process. But for that, that is that we need to get uh, the constitution, new constitution, to be approved by the people. So that's that would be the first first step towards, and then the election to come, and then and then a fight. So I don't see that the the the, the long every like. The long term, but it will be short time as possible that we will be doing because we want to build this stable, the peaceful, democratic federal union as soon as possible. This is a way that only way to uh, to make sure our people will get the full benefit of the equality, subject determination, and justice, and also that we can build the the prosperous country together. And so. I think one final category of, of um, actor that we haven't spoken about, that we haven't focused on, is the international community. Now, the international community has done some things, that certain steps have been taken, sanctions have definitely uh, been placed, there have been resolutions passed uh, at different levels, whether by individual governments or all the way up to supranational organizations. But the NUG has repeatedly called for the international community to do uh, more. President uh, Duelashila just recently was was published calling for um, weaponry from uh, from the West. Uh, what is it really that the the international community could be doing to help Myanmar? What is it that they morally should be doing to help Myanmar? Yeah, so, uh, we we do appreciate the international community's support, especially the humanitarian support. Um, but many of the support go through that. Um, SAC, the NAPIDO, that never reached to the most vulnerable people. And there is a waste of the international community that tax pay no dollar. Um, so number one, right now, the since 1027, and uh, according to UN OCHA, the new newly displaced people, about half a million people, just over a month now. The international community must, without delay, provide the emergency humanitarian assistance in coordination with NUG and ethnic organization, the organization on the ground, to direct assistance to the displaced people. Almost all the displaced people are living under the uh, control area of the resistance forces. So the cross-border assistance will be the effective effective humanitarian emergency humanitarian assistance. And then as you mentioned, the acting president um, called for the international support. 
And then uh, the, to end this brutal military dictatorship and t- terrorist military dictators, and with less uh, blood. Mm-hmm. That means that providing, given the military assistance to protect, able to protect civilians, especially for the air defense. But acting president mentioned that if international community cannot provide the military assistance like the air defense system, they could provide that non-lethal, the early warning system. This way that we could effectively save thousands of lives. Recently, the the, the ethnic organizations like DNLA uh, mentioned that their forces being attacked by the, uh, the by the military with the chemical bombs in two different places. Koken MNDA also mentioned about that their their forces being attacked with a chemical bomb in one place. And then uh, yesterday, and the military used um, the cluster bombs against the civilians in northern Shan states. So clearly that we need effective um, the defensive system that uh, we, we need from the international community to save lives, to save, mainly to save civilian lives. And then also that uh, the international community could help, could prepare to help that uh, nation building, restructuring of the country, rebuilding of the country. Um, since the coup attempt in 2021, about 90,000 the homes, properties, including religious facilities, hospitals, and schools were burned down by the military. So that those the undertaking would be huge undertaking that the, the we have to do that. And then uh, now I mentioned that uh, that we in our country and NUG and the ethnic organization uh, implementing the interim administration in our control areas with very little support from international and the international community could provide the financial and technical support. Uh, for the local administration to provide the governmental services, restoring the law law and order and the justice systems and the capacity building. So those are the things that international community can do right now uh, to end the military dictatorship as soon as possible, to save the innocent lives and then to build that the peaceful, stable, prosperous country and to be part of that uh, the, the, the international community that we could um, contribute that development of the regional development and then even the world economy that we are resources well, naturally we are resourceful country resource rich country we have our talented people resili- resilient and so the people that who would rebuild the country, so international community should prepare to help um, the, the, our, our resilient people. And that, that raises a, an important question as well. The, the state of the economy, the state of the country, it's, it's not just the military and the bombs that are causing devastation. Uh, obviously, 
the prices have been increasing, food shortages are there. I was hearing today, individual eggs are, are costing 300 jat. You used to be able to get them for 100. Uh, a liter of oil is costing 4,800 jat. Before the coup, you could get it for 1,800. Prices have, have more than doubled, in some cases tripled. And this is not something that will magically disappear when the military falls. Is, is the NUG f- thinking about ways in which uh, the economy can be revitalized, uh, food stores and, and uh, lines of um, transportation of goods can be uh, rebuilt and, and uh, brought back online, basically? Uh, and is there any time frame for how long the NUG thinks this might take? Um, to build a, uh, to, to rebuild a nation, and then you, as you know, that would take some time. So we do have the plan, and then we we that's why the we is we are we are requesting international community to prepare to commit and support uh, for the the rebuilding of the country. And to rebuild the country required a lot of resources. Yes, in short, like you mentioned, the basic necessity that that we have to do it right away without delay. So those are the things that we will be focusing on the day one, and the, but that that would be the short uh, short term solution will not solve the the country the the already already damaged economic infrastructure. There is no economic infrastructure left in Myanmar. The military military ticket is already destroyed, and that they built that that uh, the infrastructure for themselves to be rich and not for the people. So even the bank, uh, the banking system, there's no banking system um, that uh, the, the, the proper banking system, even though there's a bank, because of the banking also controlled by the military. There might be the in name, the private bank, but private banks that run are under the military directives. Um, so uh, that's why that we have the interim central bank to rebuild the financial institution and that to run that to keep running the financial institution uh, uh, the, with a very very little um, damage to that ordinary people uh, but in order to build that we need capacity building that's why that I I, I mentioned earlier that uh, providing the capacity building the financial and technical assistance, for the for that implementation of the the local uh, sorry at ad, uh, ad interim administration services we are building across the country without uh, help from international community very little help if any uh, so we are doing our own with innovative way but we need international community to support and help and that's this way that we could uh, build a country. As, as soon as possible, back to back to stable and prosperity. And so, I think we've we've covered quite a lot of ground here. And as we come towards the end of our interview, uh, the tradition that we always have on the show is that we like to finish by giving our guests the opportunity to voice some thoughts uh, or a message to the audience directly something that you want to emphasize, something that you want the audience to bear in their mind as they, they go on about their day. Um, and so in, in thanking you for coming on and sharing your time and sharing your insight with us, I'd, I'd like to invite you to 
just share some final thoughts for our listeners now. Yeah, I just want to um, mention that the military is collapsing and it's just a matter of time that we will win. Spring revolution will be won and that people's will, uh, people's revolution will win. So we're going to rebuild, we're going to build a genuine federal democratic union that peaceful, stable, and guarantee for equality, self-determination, justice for all. But uh, one thing is that that we 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 need we, we are doing innovative way, and uh, not only on the military lead, but also the economically economic sectors, and also administration sectors, and that uh, we uh, this revolution revolution is the I would say that the most innovative revolutions in the world history. The reason is that uh, not we we are fighting against that the mighty military dictatorship, and it's very short period of time, two just over two and a half years, and then we are winning uh, because of the people's support, and also with our innovative way. A very little people, uh, very little known interim administration services successfully we are implementing in our control area. And also the ethnic states also building, uh, implementing interim administration services in their own states. So that's why those are the, those are the ones that, that guarantee for our future new Myanmar be strong and stable. And then we do have a federal democracy charter and that, that will that also the basic foundation that makes sure that we will build that the the, the peaceful uh, the prosperous federal democratic union for everyone in our country. So thank you. We want to take a moment to introduce you to our nonprofit Better Burma's online shop, which features handicrafts sourced from artisan communities scattered throughout Myanmar. Far from being mass-produced knockoffs, the pieces we offer are unique and handmade, reflecting the wide diversity of different peoples found throughout the country. When Myanmar experienced its transition period, moving from democracy in the late 2010s after decades of harsh military dictatorship, many Burmese craftspeople hoped their beautiful work could finally be appreciated beyond the country. When Myanmar experienced its transition period, moving towards democracy in the late 2010s after decades of harsh military dictatorship, many Burmese craftspeople hoped their beautiful work could finally be appreciated beyond the country's borders. But sadly, this was not to be so. Following the military coup, many skilled artisans suddenly found all possibility of continuing their livelihood closed off and began struggling just to feed their families. With this in mind, we prioritize working with artisans from disadvantaged and vulnerable backgrounds because we know just how hard it can be to survive at the margins of society in Myanmar. This includes such people as those with disabilities, mothers who have contracted HIV-AIDS, civil servants on CDM, ethnic and religious minorities, and more. To view these wonderful pieces, please visit alokacrafts.com. That's aloka, A-L-O-K-A, crafts, C-R-A-F-T-S. One word, alokacrafts.com. Otherwise, 
please consider a donation through our usual channels. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are being impacted by the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Your donation will go on to support a wide range of humanitarian and media missions, aiding those local communities who need it most. Donations are directed to such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, Families of Deceased Victims, Internally Displaced Person, IDP Camps, Food for Impoverished Communities, Military Defection Campaigns, Undercover Journalists, Refugee Camps, Monasteries and Nunneries, Education Initiatives, the Purchasing of Protective Equipment and Medical Supplies, COVID Relief, and more. We also make sure that our donation fund supports a diverse range of religious and ethnic groups across the country. We invite you to visit our website to learn more about past projects as well as upcoming needs. You can give a general donation or earmark your contribution to a specific activity or project you would like to support, perhaps even something you heard about in this very episode. All of this humanitarian work is carried out by our nonprofit mission, Better Burma. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is directed towards this fund. Alternatively, you can also visit the Better Burma website, betterburma.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause in both websites except credit card. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to these respective accounts or email us at info at betterburma.org. That's betterburma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A dot org. If you would like to give it another way, please contact us. We also invite you to check out our range of handicrafts that are sourced from vulnerable artisan communities across Myanmar, available at alokacrafts.com. Any purchase will not only support these artisan communities, but also our nonprofit's wider mission. That's Aloka Crafts, spelled A-L-O-K-A-C-R-A-F-T-S, one word, alokacrafts.com. Thank you so much for your kind consideration and support. Oh, ba, yaranan, da, da, yaranan, 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 da,